Uh, Our key scripture this morning comes from Psalm 85. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to welcome up there today. Um, I'll be reading from you from Psalm 85, verses 1 through 2 and 8 through 13. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. I will listen to what God the Lord said. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the Lord. Faithfulness springs forth from the Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Most of you know that I have two children. We are done having children, in case any of you are curious. But we have some friends now who have younger children and even some friends who are going to have a baby soon. And it got me thinking about my kids uh, over the last few days. Normally I try not to think about them, but they wake up every morning and, you know, they're there. And I, you know, I love my boys. I think, I think that they are two of the most wonderful people on earth. They are smart and fun and loving and considerate. And I love everything about them. I would not change a single thing about either of them. They are both beautiful and wonderful in my eyes. But we don't have a perfect relationship, my sons and I. Sometimes they don't do the things that I want them to do. Sometimes I'm not a very good father. Sometimes they fight with each other. None of you have witnessed that, I know. Sometimes it can be hard to motivate them to do the things that I want them to do. As much as I know they want to do the right things and feel bad when they don't, they still continue to make mistakes. But I love them. And because I love them, I make choices as a parent every day to try and help them be successful in whatever it is that they're doing. I make time for them. I talk to them about who they are and what they do. We play together. Uh, I get them what they need to be healthy for the most part. I buy them things because I love to give them gifts. I know I cannot make them choose the right thing every time. But I want to do everything within my power to help them be successful. And don't tell them this, but truthfully, I would do anything for them. I would give my own life for them in an instant if it was necessary. I, I want them to know that and to feel that every day. That they never have to worry about my love for them. That even though I may have to correct them, I may even have to punish them. But I only do these things because I want them to succeed. Now some of you may be able to identify with those same feelings as you walk through them with your own children and with your grandchildren. But there's something that I want you to hear this morning and that is that God's great desire is to love you. He just wants to love you. He wants to forgive and cover the sins of his people. He wants us to have peace, a peace that is rooted in his love and goodness. 
It is a part of what makes him so wonderful and so loving and so big. He wants us to know that even though we are going to make mistakes continually, that he will always be there, that he will always pick us up, that he will always help us get on our feet and again. And when we are in relationship with God, when we are faithful to him, we have peace because we are staying connected to this God who loves us in such a deep and meaningful way. I mean, we can make other choices, right? We can rebel, we can turn away, but when we do so, we are driving a wedge between ourselves and the God who loves us. We are walking away from all of that care, all of that certainty, all of that love, and all of that assurance. And we, of our own volition, under our own power, introduce conflict to our own lives by separating ourselves from God. But even so, even so, even, even with the steps that we take away from God, God always invites us to return to Him. Amen? Amen? God always invites us to return to Him. He longs to forgive and to bless. You, Lord, showed your favor to the land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants. When I listen to God, I will experience peace. But when I do my own thing, I will lose sleep. What about you? Do you find yourself in peace because you are following God? Or do you find yourself in conflict? because so many things are out of balance. All right, please be seated. If you have any uh, kids here this morning, you want to send them up to Children's Church, they can go out the door and head upstairs. I almost gave myself a paper cut just now. It's good. It's been a good morning. It's been a good morning. So uh, as we mentioned, we are in the season of Advent and we celebrate Advent together as a church family because we look forward to uh, the return of Jesus. And instead of just having one day where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we spend a whole month leading up to uh, the celebration of his birth and looking forward to his return. Uh, So as was mentioned earlier, this week uh, we lit the candle of peace and I have this, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of funny uh, now that I think about it, but I, I don't know how you look at yourself and what, sort of what your self-perception is, but when I look at myself, I don't really consider myself to be a person of peace, which might seem odd to some of you because I know I seem exceptionally calm. Um, you know, like, what does Bryce look like when he's excited? Pretty much this right here. I mean, this is what you get. Um, But I wouldn't describe myself as a person of peace, and this really bothered me coming into today's service, which made me less peaceful. Um, Some of you you who know me well, you know, I I, I struggle with uh, anxiety. I worry about all different kinds of things, and I just felt like I couldn't get this right. Sometimes when you're preaching, you have the challenge of uh, 
having to stand in front of people and to try to explain like a, a heavy life idea or concept and you just find yourself, well, how do I explain this to someone when I don't consider myself to be very good at practicing this? Uh, so that was the first challenge. So of course, last night, I, I had worked on my sermon all through yesterday and last night I couldn't sleep um, because I was I was thinking of, so finally I just got out of bed at 5.30 this morning. Uh, Kyle had been up for about six hours at that point. <laughs> And uh, I, I came in here uh, and just, I, so, I've, so I've been here since about six this morning um, thinking about what I'm going to say to you today. And one of the things that I think brought me to this point is that I tried to take some time this week to think about what it would take for me to have what I would consider to be a more peaceful presence. Um, and as I said, as the Sunday grew closer, I felt less and less peaceful. I think it's kind of like that thing where, you know, you warn people not to pray for patience. Because when you pray for patience, what does God do? Immediately gives you something that tests whether you have patience or not. Um, so I want you to take just a second. And I want you to think, what would it take for you if you were just to make a mental list of three things. What would it take for you to have more peace in your life? What would you need to change? What do you need to add? What do you need to take away? What do you need that you feel like would give you a greater sense of peace? So maybe, maybe you've come up with a few things. I know you're on the spot. It's hard to be super thoughtful in 30 seconds. But may, maybe there are some things that come to your mind. And if, if you do have some things that came to mind, write them down on something. There's notepads in front of you. You might have a bulletin. Uh, write those three things that you thought of down on your piece of paper. Now, we're going to talk about peace together. Okay, and one of the, I guess, the first questions we have to address when we're talking about peace is, what do we actually mean when we say peace? Um, because there are lots of ideas about what peace actually is. Um, and maybe it's, it's like Zeke said this morning uh, during the Advent thing, what is peace? Well, peace is not fighting, which there's truth to that. We have... This idea that peace is simply not having any sort of outward conflict with others. So if we are conflict-free, then there is peace. But this is a pretty strict definition of peace because it boils the whole concept down to the idea that peace is primarily... <laughs> that, there we go. Thank you, Jason. Jason's been mean to me today. I just want you to know that. Besides, besides this... I took my sweater off because you were making fun of me, Jason, and because I was sweating up on stage. <laughs> it's a pretty strict definition of peace, but it's probably the most common one, but it boils peace down to just simply being the opposite of conflict. Where there is no conflict or struggle, there is peace. Uh, in fact, during our campaign that we just finished a f about a month ago, this was the element of peace that we focused on. Um, that we would be a people of peace instead of a people of conflict and that we would not escalate things, but we would bring calm and peace to whatever situation we're in. 
But that is too narrow of a definition for us, I think. But this idea of conflict, conflict is a core term that we need to hold on to this morning. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to cycle back around for us. But we need to know that there is more to peace than simply not being in an argument with someone else, right? It's, there's more to it than that. Um, so there are two things that we also need to sort of clear out of the way. If we're first going to say that peace is not simply being argument or fight free, there are two other things that we have to get out of the way. The first is, I think that we confuse peace with having everything under control. Okay? We confuse peace with having everything under control. If we are able to control our circumstances, if things uh, are all going the way that we want them to, then how do we feel? Good, right? Things are going just the way that we want them to. And this feels to us like peace. Everything is smooth, everything is calm. I think that we could reasonably argue that a lack of peace, however, comes from our struggle to control every element of our lives. That may be the biggest thief of peace that we encounter. And furthermore, we all know that when we try to control everything around us and make it go the way we want it to, what happens? It does, right? Any number of things happen. I mean, we just... Life throws things at us that we're maybe not ready for, and we, when we don't have control over whatever it is, we lose our sense of peace. And that takes us to the second thing. I think that we also confuse peace with having a lack of issues with whatever it is. If I feel good about everything, then that's what peace actually is. But life is full of its ups and downs, and I don't really know, maybe you know better than I do, but I don't really know what a smooth life looks like. And if I ever felt that my life was really going correctly or right or smooth or easy, I would expect a meteor to fall out of the sky and crush me where I stand. Because it's just not the kind of experience that I think most of us have with life. But this takes us to, to something important, and that's this. Peace cannot simply be a feeling that we get when things are going well. That's not what peace actually is. Really, that feeling we get when things are going well is just a sign of a lack of adversity in our lives. We're not facing any trouble, and that feels good. But you know what? That's not actually peace. It's just the calm before the storm. And the storm might be small, or it might be big. But that's not really what peace is. And if we are counting on our feelings or lack thereof to give us peace, then we will be waiting for a long time. We need something more than a good feeling. We need what the Bible talks about as being the peace of God. The peace that God has to offer. But it gets more complicated still. 
I wish that understanding the peace of, that God had to offer were more simple than it is. After all, God is called a God of peace throughout the Bible, and Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, which would make us think that as Christians, our lives would be full of what? Peace. That our lives would be full of peace. But here's the thing. When you read your Bible, you see that God constantly put his people into situations where they were uncomfortable. God called Noah to build a giant boat for all the animals in the world because it was going to rain and he didn't even know what rain was. God called Abraham to leave his family behind in order to follow him to the place where he didn't know where he was going to go. Gideon was called to lead the Israelites in battle even though he had zero military, fighting, or leadership experience. And did you catch that? God also sent his people to war. I could go on, but I'm not going to. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace, right? Well, listen to these words from Matthew chapter 10. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now, I don't know how you feel about all those words, but they do not give me a peaceful, easy feeling. They are hard from start to finish. And they tell us something about Jesus. That while Jesus might be the Prince of Peace, if we are going to be His, what will be present in our lives? Conflict. Of some kind will be there. Jesus knew exactly what He was saying. He knew how difficult these words would be, and He said them anyway. But in spite of these points, God is still called the God of peace, and Jesus is still called the Prince of Peace, which leads us back to the first question. Well, what is peace then? Or maybe more to the point, what does God's peace look like, and what is Jesus actually the Prince of? If it's not all of these things that we think peace are, then what does it mean? Now, uh, in Hebrew teaching, peace is not an elimination of fighting or an elimination of wants, like you just get rid of things. Instead, peace was a central idea. We talked about it a little bit in our campaign when we talked about the idea of shalom. But to put it in very simple terms, peace uh, in... Wayne's gone. I needed Wayne. That's all right. We'll skip that part. Peace is balance in all parts of life, not letting anything fall out and keeping all relationships healthy and strong. So 
if it's like this, you have all of these different areas, and if one of those areas, let's just say you have your friends, you have your work, you have your family, you have your marriage, you have God, if one of these areas falls out of balance, then we lose our footing and it affects everything else as well. And you kind of know this is true, right? If you're unhappy at work, does your family know about it? Yes, right? If you're unhappy with your family, does your work suffer? Yes, all these things have, a, have some sort of influence on the other. And so this idea is within Hebrew teaching that you need to keep everything in balance. And when everything is in balance, then you will have peace. And on the one hand, I think that's a really good model for what peace should be. But on the other, you may be recognizing how difficult it can be to keep everything in balance. I mean, it's not an easy thing, is it? To keep your family, your work, your friends, all those elements of your life in balance. And furthermore, I can't control how hard something pulls on me. Do you know what I mean? Like I can't control if something is going to pull me more this direction and pull me out of balance with whatever is over here. So, how does God's peace play into this? If peace is this challenging, what are we supposed to do? Well, I want to give you an answer that I think is a little bit different than the answer you're expecting. And here it is. If we want to experience the peace of God, we need to be ready and anticipating the return of Jesus. Now that doesn't really seem like what we would normally do to pursue peace. I mean, what does being ready for Jesus to come back have to do with having peace? And when we talk about the end of things, the return of Jesus, peace is not often something that comes to mind when we talk about that particular thing. If you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 8 through 15. And this is what uh, he writes here. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and peace with him, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Okay, this passage confuses me. Because on one hand, the writer is telling us to feel good about what's going to happen. But on the other hand, he's telling us that what's going to happen is going to be dramatic and scary, right? 
It's true. The return of Jesus, this very idea, and it's passages like this that have created this, have created anxiety in us instead of peace. Uh, Look at some of the images that are mentioned in this passage. The Lord will come like what? A thief in the night. The world will be destroyed by fire. And we as Christians have at times created a culture in which we use these kinds of ideas to motivate people to turn their lives to God. Yeah? Maybe you've experienced some of this yourself. In all fairness, there might be a point in time where people do need to hear that. That if you turn your back on God, it ultimately matters. But God never intended for the imminent return of Jesus to make us afraid or anxious. And this is not really what this passage is about. And so this is our problem. We read this passage and the things that jump out to us are all of those elements. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything will be laid bare. Those images are so stark and so dramatic that it takes all of our attention. But we miss verse 9 if we do that. Did you hear what verse 9 said? You probably don't even remember it at this point. Because it got lost in everything else. But listen to this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We don't know when God is coming. But we do know that the reason it is taking so long is so that everyone will have an opportunity to turn their lives over to God. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. No one. God does not want anyone to be lost. So we are told here that we need to turn our lives over to Jesus before the end comes. But the return of Christ is not something we should be afraid of. It's something we should look forward to. And what is the key to looking forward to it and not letting all of that other stuff get in the way of us looking forward to Jesus returning? The answer, again, is surprising. The key to looking forward to Jesus returning and not being afraid of everything else is righteousness. Now there is another term that is fraught with peril. Righteousness. It is such a church word. We could throw holy in there. We could throw sanctified. Those church words, right? Righteousness is one of those words. Look at verses 13 and 14 again. But in keeping with the promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And here's the core principle that this passage is trying to communicate to us about peace. If you are ready, meaning if you are righteous, if you are blameless, if you are pure, then you have nothing to be afraid of. Be right with God and you will have peace. 
Look at it this way. It's the difference between taking a test that you've had a month to study for and taking a test that you didn't know was coming. This is the kind of thing that the writer is trying to create here for us. If you are prepared, if you have studied, then you have nothing to fear. But there's another problem, right? There is. There are many Christians who have been baptized, who have given their lives to Jesus, who have lived their whole lives in service to him, and they've reached the end of their lives. And what is the one question that is haunting them? Have I done enough? Haunting them. Have I done enough? This is a real concern, church. We can have peace and be unafraid if we are righteous and ready, but how can we be confident when we're afraid that we haven't done enough? I mean, how does that actually create any calm inside of us? If we are supposed to be blameless and pure, how do I know if I'm blameless and pure? How do I feel like this is enough? I think that maybe the problem is the word righteousness, as we mentioned a moment ago. When I hear that word righteousness, I think about doing everything right. I think about my life being in order. I think about not being wrong about stuff. And I hear Peter say that if I can be righteous, that I have nothing to be afraid of. But there's a big problem, you see, and that is that I am not righteous. I am a sinner and I make so many mistakes. So how can I be blameless and pure? How can I be righteous and then be confident? I'm actually feeling worse now than I did before. I started this study. If I have to be righteous and be, to be ready, and if I have to be ready to have peace, then I'm going to worry about... I'm going to worry the rest of my life about whether I've done enough. And into this conflict that's within my heart, Jesus steps in. From Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, Paul writes, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Here's something fascinating. Paul, the guy who wrote so much of the New Testament, had to deal with this same question. What do I do about how messed up I am? If I'm supposed to be righteous, to be ready, and I'm supposed to be ready to have peace, then how can I have peace? But here's what he tells us. And keep in mind, this is something he had to understand for himself first. Righteousness does not come from our ability to do everything right. It does not come from our ability to follow the rules. 
It does not come from our ability at all. Instead, if we believe in Jesus, then God makes us right. What what a release this is for us. What freedom we have because of this. I mean, think about it. The only reason we know Jesus as we do, the baby born in a manger, the miracle worker, the man on the cross, the resurrected Lord, is because God decided we could not be righteous on our own. That he had to step in to this gap and come up with a solution to help make us right. So God does not, our, does not expect our righteousness to come from what we do. Your righteousness does not come from what you do. It comes from Jesus. And God plans for it to come from Jesus. Therefore, Paul tells us that in all things we can rejoice because with God on our side, we can have peace. From Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And here is perhaps where I see myself and my problem the most clearly. In any given situation, we try to establish peace by gaining control. In order to gain ordinary peace, we believe that we need to understand the problem. By understanding the problem, we can come up with a solution. When we come up with a solution, we can make things right. And when do we feel the most ill at ease? When we don't have answers to something. When something is beyond our reach. When we can't change it, when we can't make it something that works for us, which tells us something important, all this effort at control might make us feel better in the now, but it's not going to last for us. Because as soon as we gain control over one thing, we lose control over something else. The moment we think that everything is set, everything goes its own way. Because all things will go wrong at some point. And we go through this endless cycle of looking for peace, finding it for a short time, and then losing it again. We have this when this happens mentality. You know what I'm talking about? Well, when this happens, then I'll feel good. When this happens, then that will line up and these things will go right. When that happens, life will finally be great. But what do we know? We know that those moments pass so quickly. Life continues to move and change. And I think if there's anything that a lot of us have learned from our experiences this past fall is that there is a lot that is outside of our control. And here's the thing. Just to be totally open with you, 
I don't need more control. I don't need to be able to run everything better. I need something in my life that is going to surpass that. I need to find peace knowing that I am not good enough on my own. I need to find peace knowing that there are so many things that I can't control. I need a transcendent peace. And Paul calls it this. It's a peace that passes understanding. We take that term for granted a lot because we've heard it so much if we've grown up going to church. But that term is a very powerful term. Because understand what it says. It says that you can be free of inner conflict even if you don't know what's going to happen. Even if you don't know how whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Even if you can't see any possible end, you can still have peace. Why? Because we have a God who is bigger than whatever is happening to us right now. We have a God who has already solved our biggest problems for us. We do not have to be responsible for fixing everything. Because God has already done the work for us. God brings help, forgiveness, and love to our conflict. He brings balance to our imbalance. And if we will live our lives with Him, if we will allow God to love us in this way, if we will pursue Him, then we have, guess what? Nothing to be afraid of. We have nothing to be afraid of. And when we realize we have nothing to be afraid of, guess what we find? Peace. Church, what is the worst thing this world can do to you? Kill you. That just gets you to God faster. We have nothing to be afraid of. And if we would just embrace that, then we would find peace. So what is the answer to this? The answer is to look forward to the return of Jesus. Because that is the answer to whatever is going on in our lives. To whatever is messed up, to whatever feels out of balance, the answer is not more of us. The answer is the return of him. And that is what we look forward to. Not because the earth is going to catch fire, but because when Jesus returns, it settles everything. What was broken will be made whole. What is wrong will be made right. And God will gather us to him. You see, we don't need to be afraid because we know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. And knowing the end is what gives you peace. It's not everything that happens in between. It's knowing the end. From Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. 
Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is what we look forward to the gathering of all of us into the arms of our God, where he makes the twisted straight, the high, low. And we, church, of all people on the face of this earth, can have peace. For God loves us. Jesus died for us. And he is coming back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for how you sent him here, Father. Because you know us, you know how we struggle. You know how we cannot be righteous on our own. But God, you sent Jesus that, you, that through his blood we might become righteous. Father, we want to live in anticipation of his return. We want to look forward to it, Father, Because the end of all things is the beginning of our story with you. That God, you will gather us close to you. And that all that is broken will be made whole again. God, we want that. And we say, Lord Jesus, come back quickly. We look for your return. In his name we pray. Amen. If you have any needs for prayers or encouragement this morning, You want to know this God who loves you in such a personal way, who wants you to have the peace that only he can provide. We invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together.